This is Rex Richardson, and this room sounds great. And out of that, I got a, um, a book deal with a Swiss publisher. And one of my tunes, he's like, yeah, why don't we do this instead? And he started messing with my tunes, and I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> Whippersnapper. he is. And then I was like, wait a second, that's actually a really good idea. Time at home, in my case, has meant practicing like I haven't probably in the last 23 years. I am a student of wines and winemaking. My goal is, when I'm out there playing again, I want people to hear just a, a different Rex Richardson. I want people to say, man, I never heard that cat sound like that. Oh, well, hello, and thank you for listening to This Room Sounds Great, the Shaco Sessions podcast today, right now, in this very moment, right now, across from me, we get to speak to One Take Rex Richardson. <laughs> You know where that name came from. <laughs> you blindsided me. That's hilarious. <laughs> so what do I, I, th- that's what I hear. I hear you do it one time and it's perfect and, and it's in the can and everybody's done. Isn't that the story? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Carlos, I think Carlos started making fun of me when I was doing my own projects. I was a little bit picky. So I'd be more likely to do 100 takes of uh-huh. an eight-bar phrase, you know. Um, it wasn't like that when I was doing other people's projects. Thankfully, no one I, – I don't remember ever having any, so many takes that someone decided to fire me. But, um, yeah, with my own takes, uh, I think I drove Carlos a bit crazy. But he does seem to have infinite patience, I must say. Mm-hmm. I got to commend him for that among many, many other great qualities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he wants to see everybody's vision come to life, so. I yeah, think. and he knew – he understood, you know. I mean, he's – you know, he's something of a perfectionist himself, and 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 I don't I don't use that word as with 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 pride. I think it's a neurosis, but it's something that it's it, it's hard to get out of. I think I'm doing a little better now as I'm aging. I start to find that the music is not in the perfection. That's another thing. Thankfully. There are certain <laughs> things we give less of. <laughs> we give we give less. You know what? The older we get, exactly. Carlos, of course, is the owner of In New Year Studio. He is uh, one of the he is the key individual that makes all of this possible for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Carlos. Um, but yes, he did want me to rib you just a little bit there. <laughs> so what are you working on right now, and what has le- what has the landscape been for you in the last year? Wow, it's um, it's been so different. And oh, we should add. Uh, I guess I should add. Uh, Rex is a trumpet trumpeteer. Yes, I do play the trumpet. World renowned. Uh, like I said, that's an exaggeration, but <laughs> thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a trumpet player, and I um, I've been teaching at VCU since 2002 as the um, trumpet professor there, and uh, kind of a jazz studies professor as well. But mostly, I do jazz trumpet there too, as as, as my schedule is played out. And I, um, most of the time, I'm on tour about anywhere from maybe four to six months out of the year. Wow. So it's it's pretty crazy. Mostly short trips, especially during the semester, of course, because I'm dealing with, with teaching. But I've, I've been lucky they've mostly been able to schedule my my work at VCU around travel. So that's, that's, that's incredible. Pretty well. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been great mostly. And, uh, and it all came, kind of came to a screeching halt, like for everyone in, in March. And so it's it's interesting seeing how I'm in touch with, you know, I've got friends all over the world from doing these projects, which has been great. And just, you know, keeping up with them and seeing what they're dealing with and how bad it is. And and um, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. And 
I feel especially bad for um, my colleagues who who don't have some kind of an income base. I'm very lucky that I do have uh, this great job at VCU. They've been very good to me for, geez, since 2000, so going on 19 years mm-hmm. now. Um, and um, it's it, it it's sort of a making, it, it's keeping at least a financial crisis from ensuing. Of course, you start to lose your mind a little bit anyway. <laughs> oh, sure. When you're used to uh, sharing music with people, you know, in various parts of the world and uh, from small rooms to big rooms and just interacting with the musicians and just that that sort of fellowship. And um, and that's that's all kind of been gone, of course. So in the meantime, I've, um, I've done a lot of, I've created a lot of video content. Hmm. Um, and I started... Um, started getting on this bandwagon that a lot of people are doing this 100 days of practice thing. And mm-hmm. a lot of people were just sort of feeling themselves playing a bit. And I started making a little more elaborate videos. So I started saying, I want to create a video that's um, a little more produced and really trying to address pedagogical topics. And I was really enjoying doing that. And people seemed to res- respond well. And out of that, I got a, um, a book deal <gasps> with a Swiss publisher. What? Yeah, editions BIM. They're called. They're, they're wonderful. They've got all kinds of great brass music and, and jazz music and and uh, all, all other sorts of publications as well. And so we're doing a 100 days of trumpet practice with Rex Richardson book. And so I've been working on that uh, for the last couple months. Uh, up at 5 a.m. every day, kind of getting a couple hours in writing the book and before I get into the other activities. And so that's one of the main things on the plate. And um, also been working on a collaboration with Daniel Clark, who, of course, I'm playing with um, here mm-hmm. on the 26th. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel's a guy I've always been a, a big fan of. He, it's funny. He was one of the first people I ever met when I came to Richmond. When I interviewed for the job at VCU, I was teaching as a, as a visiting, visiting professor to Ithaca College at the time, and I came down for the job. And so here was this kid. I think he just graduated, like, in December before. He was 22. And, you know, I'm doing classical stuff and jazz stuff. And, and one of my tunes, he's like, yeah, why don't we do this instead? And he started messing with my tunes. And I was like, who, who is this cat? <laughs> Whippersnapper. I think he is. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a second. That's actually a really good idea. That's much better. <laughs> and so I, I very quickly, you know, developed an appreciation for Daniel and his musical brilliance and, and I always appreciate his personal warmth. And it's been amazing to watch his career unfold, you know, playing with superstars around the world. And so uh, I reached out to him, geez, I think it was actually before lockdown. And we just started... Um, trying to get together and learn some songs and especially learning the kind of tunes that I don't normally play. I mm-hmm. think I tend to be associated with a very extroverted kind of high energy sort of playing, especially kind of on the classical side as well as as well as on the jazz side. And I wanted to explore a little more of kind of a, a sort of a pop sensibility, you know, uh-huh. exploring like we're, we're, we've been working on God Only Knows by the Beach Boys, that beautiful song and um, and uh, a beautiful song by Elliot Smith, as well as some more jazz standards. A beautiful, and, sad song, I'm sure, yes, by Elliot Smith. <laughs> it is. They're all beautiful and sad, aren't they? <laughs> but so beautiful. And, and it was actually Daniel, I think, who years ago, when I first came to town, maybe, introduced me to Elliot Smith just a few years after he had passed away. And um, I just sort of 
I was like, man, Elliot Smith hasn't, I haven't listened to his music forever. And I found, I used to get this very famous waltz number two, but there's this waltz number one that people don't seem to know as well that is a gorgeous tune. And we've been working on that as well as some of Daniel's originals and some of mine and, and a and couple of And this is what we'll get to hear on Chaco Sessions Live? Yes, oh, yes. exciting. You know, some mixture of this kind of repertoire with his music and mine and some of this, um, some of this music out of more of sort of the pop realm, I guess you could say. And um, and it's also going to be, of course, Andrew Randazzo and Brian Caputo, mm-hmm. who are play, uh, joining us on bass and drums. And those guys are playing right now in Charlottesville. Otherwise, uh, at least um, Daniel hopefully would be able to join us for this for this yeah. chat. But yeah. but they're a wonderful trio. I went and checked them out there, and um, the, this Oakhurst um, Inn where they perform that's that's where they decided the name to take their name they're, they're the Oakhurst trio now oh and um i i really enjoyed what they were doing of course i've known all these guys for years and know they're all super killing musicians but hearing that chemistry together that's where it's always the best thing when it's if you you can throw a bunch of great musicians together and, and it's not necessarily the case that great stuff's going to happen but when they have time to develop chemistry man there's nothing better so so that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to play with these guys next week. Good for you for being open to grow. You know, I think a lot of people can stay in their lane and never deviate or just as you said, you know, who is this person telling me that this could be better or this could be something? <laughs> Not like he was trying to say it was better, just, hey, here's a take. Yeah. But that's incredible that you were open enough and it led, <laughs> and it led to beautiful things. That's I, great. I'm just glad I was smart enough to realize that <laughs> how much better it was because um, Daniel's operating at this super high musical level. And even then, I mean, I'm, uh, probably about 10 years older than them, I think. But, um, I was like, wow, um, respect, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I didn't have enough, uh, I didn't have enough of a wall up to not realize just how musical this guy was and how good his ideas were. So, um, but yeah, I think that's so important, isn't it? I think it, it it's, I, I've known when I was younger, I've run into older musicians that I really respected. And some of them, I was sad to realize they, they kind of, you know, I guess they it's became they a, little, yeah, a little bit ossified. It's like, well, this is kind of what I am. And and it's hard to know what happens or, or how how that unfolds. But I think um, the, the ideal scenario is that you view yourself as someone who's always growing, always learning, and always um always finding new opportunities to to find new directions, I guess. So that's right now what is most important to me as a musician. I, I can look back and say, well, I've done a few things. I'm, I'm, I'm getting older for sure, as we all are, but it seems to be very quickly, at least my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, I feel like I'm playing the trumpet better now than I ever have. And one of the silver linings of this horrible situation we're all in uh, globally is uh, time at home, in my case, has meant practicing like I haven't probably in the last 23 years. You're using your time wisely. That's great. Trying to. Trying to. I've been in the gym every day, so uh, that's been good, too. Also, you know, just sort of trying trying to get in shape because the first couple months, I just... It was the opposite. Oh, I, I got a magnet for Christmas that said my fat pants are now my regular pants. So that's where I am. <laughs> I feel that is all I can I'll say. I'll turn it around at some point. <laughs> well, <laughs> mm-hmm. well, exactly. And so it's it's been a challenge, but it's like I think all of us establishing some kind of positive routine in the midst of this, that's the way to kind of 
keep your head together and find ways to to grow despite all the barriers that have been thrown up around Thank us. Thank goodness for technology. Thank yeah. goodness. I mean, I mentioned this on a podcast previously, and I finally remembered who it was. Kylie Minogue just yeah. did a new album. Really? And everything of hers was remote. And wow. she said she spent most of her days not singing, but trying to hook up the equipment. And she she got to learn that the engineering side of it because she had the home studio and she was communicating with people around the world. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, she's like, I spent most of my days under tables looking at ports and plugs and jacks and things. And so, but thank goodness technology is there that we can do that. Yeah. Because had this happened, you know, 40 years ago, we'd all just be stuck. Yes. It's, we wouldn't be able to broadcast out to people and it just, it, right. in the same way, not it's, in the same way. It's hard to imagine how, and of course we might have all just said, ask, well, we're just going to go about our, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're just going to kind of maintain our regular routine. It's hard to know how it would have played out, but it is entirely possible that we just would have been paralyzed in a way that we're not because of the fact that technology has come so far. And, and that's one reason why I decided, you know, to take the audio engineering class with, with, with Carlos and Andrea this past semester. And, um, it was, it was so valuable. And I, I, it's yet another way that I'm trying to keep growing. And, you know, it was like, there were all these kids in this class. And then there was the old guy, you know, um, asking a question here and there. And it's funny because Carlos and I have worked together so many times on projects that sometimes he would engage me about some issue that related to something we had experienced in the past. But um, yeah, and, and exactly. So now I've, I've got better gear that I'm working on and I'm, I'm set up to, to do more projects remotely mm -hmm. myself. But um, good for Kylie. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> Talk about growing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Learning the other end. Yeah, no doubt. If I were going to play a little snippet of Rex, what do you think depicts you the best? If I've got you up on Spotify, what's a good oh, clip? Oh, wow. Where you said, I enjoy this piece. This one was, you. just what's one of your standouts for you? Oh, let's see. They all start out concerto in. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, some of those, uh, the last two. But you've albums, got tons of albums on here as well. Yeah, there are, uh, there are nine under my name. And a few others that, you know, I, I might have appeared on, but um, the the last two were concerto albums. Uh, the two before that were both jazz albums mm -hmm. released at the same time. And something that might be nice is, um, especially because we're, you know, our project coming up here is a jazz one. Something maybe from the Blue Shift album. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could do... Circa 2014. 2014, that's right. That's when that came out. I've got eight tracks. Right. And Steve Wilson, of course, uh, amazing saxophonist, kind of co-leading that session. Yeah, why don't we do Blues for David Henry? That's that's a nice tune.
Where did you guys record this one? Oh, uh, right, right in here. In, oh, in really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and that room sounded great. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, it worked great. It really did. <laughs> um, so who are you going to have with you when you're on the sh- when you're here? Remind me again. So it's going to be Daniel, Daniel. Mm-hmm. and uh, Andrew Randazzo on the bass and Brian Caputo on the drums. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. You've traveled the world. I've, you know, looked up your bio and did some internet stalking on you. Can you quantify a favorite performance? I mean, is there, I imagine for you, there's probably a top 10 or at least a top five or. Well, yeah, this has come up sometimes, this question. And there's one that comes to mind that's not what people would expect, but I played in Manchester, England a number of times because I was kind of a artist-in-residence, uh, sort of a, they have a different tutor. What do they call it? The International Tutor in Trumpet at the uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Royal Northern College of Music for a while. And there's this school there called Cheatham School of Music, which is for it's basically a school for, it's basically like a K through K-12 music program. And these kids are Unbelievable! I've never heard anything like it anywhere in the world. Are they prodigies, or they're just so dedicated? They're um, a lot of them are very high level kids. Some of them, I mean, how you define a prodigy, I guess, is a bit subjective. But a lot of them are just super high level. I remember hearing a quartet of twelve year old twelve year old brass players playing this atonal piece, something that most undergrads and colleges don't even understand, and just just nailing it. And one of them was this trombone player named Peter Moore. And a few years after that, I think maybe just a couple years after that, he was a BBC Musician of the Year. And by the time he was 18, he was Principal Trombone of the London Symphony. (laughs) So that's the kind of kids I have at this place. And yeah, he was outstanding, but still. So they had this great jazz program there. And we did this concert. There's a there's a, a club there called Band on a Wall, and I was just coming in as a guest artist with those kids. And there was something about that the feel in the room between the energy of the kids, and it was mostly their parents there. I mean, it was like um, uh, it, the vibe was so great, and everyone everything was so musical and so happy that that really stands out to me as one of the most enjoyable performances I've ever had in my life. So I've gotten to play with some some really fine orchestras, one of which is Richmond Symphony. You know, I mean, they're, they're great. And we're uh, actually, interesting, Trey Pollard, who's playing guitar on that album, is writing a concerto we're going to premiere. Um, it would have been in a couple weeks, but instead mm. it's going to be in April of 2022. But um, and And that's going to be a blast. But there's something about playing with kids, when the kids are really into it, they're playing at a high level, and their families are there and just enjoying it. There's something so kind of pure and joyful about that. And uh, that that's that probably stands out to me of all the things I've done is maybe the single most enjoyable concert I've ever Especially had. Especially when you know they want to be doing it and they're not just playing the instru- instrument because their parents want them to or they feel forced or it's robotic when you when right. the passion is there from a kid playing music it is exceptional it really is something something very uplifting yeah, so the show sure. in 2022 that'll be with the Richmond Symphony yes oh that's so exciting yes i'm very i'm very excited about it and uh Trey Pollard who's i mentioned play guitar on that album and is he's uh as another studio 
in town and is a producer and engineer and composer and arranger and he's an incredible <laughs> polymath, you know, and but his his writing has gotten absolutely superb. And so I'm really excited to see what he comes up with for for the full orchestra and solo trumpet. It's going to be very exciting. We've got a lot of rehearsal time now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Lots of time to prepare. So a lot of times musicians will talk about when they first started playing whatever instrument they play. So drummers, they were banging on pots and pans or, you know, the family had a piano and then it evolved from there. What in the world does a trumpet player start doing when they're younger? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I had a bit of a weird a musical start where uh, now I was adopted and I, it's hard to know how much of these interests are hereditary, but my family, my adoptive family is not musical at all. But my mom noticed from the time I was about three, my adoptive mom, that I, I seemed to be crazy about music. Uh, she said, when you were three, you're a, a fan of both Beethoven and Neil Diamond. So I said, okay, that's kind Ooh. of odd. <laughs> but, you're balanced. Uh, yeah, it was balanced, I guess, you know, and that's what I seemed to really respond to in the radio back then. But but um, early on, it's hard to imagine now with this voice, but I, I used to sing. I was... Uh, before something went wrong at about age 12 or 13 with my voice, I I, um, I used to sing in the church and school choirs. And I guess I must have been pretty good because they often made me the soloist on, on pieces. So that was sort of my main musical outlet. I started playing trumpet when I was 10 because uh, I'm asthmatic. And the doctor told my family, I used to play a wind instrument. My buddy played the trumpet, so I decided to try the trumpet. So a bit of an inauspicious so beginning So it's to strengthen your lungs— Yes, I don't know if that's a fallacy or not, a medical fallacy. I, I have no idea. I do know that my my asthmatic problems went away entirely, eventually, until I, you know, I went I went to college in Chicago and I started going out to play in the jazz clubs. And this mm -hmm. is where everyone was when everyone was smoking. So at, at a certain time in my early in my twenties, early twenties, I was in the jazz clubs maybe four or five nights a week. And the winters there are kind of brutal. So, kinda. Um, yeah, it was pretty <laughs> rough. So everything kind of came back, and I seem to have the return of my sense. I mean, it, it's fine. It's completely under control. Mm -hmm. But that was the reason why I started, essentially. And then by the time I was 13— He can't breathe very well. We should make sure he exasperates himself to the umpteenth degree. That'll fix him. That's right. I, it's Maybe it worked, though, because it seemed like the symptoms went away completely. Uh, I was like— 13 or so when I started getting into the trumpet. I think that's because people didn't want to hear me sing anymore. So, <laughs> and I, maybe I needed a different musical outlet and I started checking out and my parents had these old recordings of like Herb Alvin and Tijuana mm. Brass and these big band classics. And um, so I just, and then I started saving my money and buying records and it just expanded from there. Really, What kind of practicing do you have to do for finger work? So for the fingers, actually, it's interesting you should ask this because I, I feel like it's actually been neglected for well, trumpet yeah. players tend to be very um, paranoid about the chops all the time, and um, and and I think a little over paranoid about breathing, as well as over paranoid about over paranoid about the chops. But but yeah, we we have to. The, the biggest thing with the fingering is essentially that we we have the the second and third finger on the right hand need to have a good independence. And that's something that's that's difficult to, to train for. Other than that, it's just sort of slow training, make sure your coordination is good, and we have a bunch of exercises we can use to 
develop that. Mm -hmm. so. Star Trek greetings, which I can't do. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Is, is yeah. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I can't do, uh, I can do this one with that one, that. <laughs> like a pendulum. That with the other hand. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> now it is the stupid human tricks portion of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad it's, there's no video, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> now, do you write songs as well? Like yes. with li the, the lyrics part or just the music? Oh, no. I, I've never really written lyrics. I did... Um, no, that wasn't, I was thinking of a song, uh, I had a, an album I did back, I think in 96 where Kurt Elling was, a was a guest on it. Cause we, we used to play together in Chicago, but it was my girlfriend at the time who wrote the poem that he recited. I didn't even write that. Oh. So I just wrote the song itself. So yeah, I've never really been a lyricist. And, um, given that I'm, I don't think anyone wants, wants to hear me sing. It, it's, there's probably less motivation. To, you might to, be surprised. To, to <laughs> Listen to Brian Adams, uh, Rod Stewart, and Sting all sing a song together. That's gorgeous. Yes. Well, you know, you got to be able to carry tune with your voice. Um, <laughs> I can hear just how far off I am while I'm singing, but I, that doesn't mean I can actually make the, the, the corrections in real time. <laughs> cringe, cringe. <laughs> what exactly. inspires you to write? You know, I ask musicians a lot where they get their inspiration and because they're writing lyrics, it's about emotion, life events, things like that. I imagine it's the same for instrumental or is it when you're walking around and a song kind of catch or a sound catches your ear from afar, you know, train sounds or city sounds or. Yeah, it can be any of, the, any of those things. I think because for, um, you know, we respond to lyrics, of course, and the emotional content, but often just a beautiful melody has as much emotional impact as anything. Right. And, and so you can be working strictly from a melodic, a melodic viewpoint or, or even um, the way a chord progression affects you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, I think, for musicians, many times, you know, we're always trying to listen to the stuff. You're always trying to kind of continue to try to learn. And you hear something that makes you go, oh, that's interesting. Let me mess around with that. And then something else comes out of it. It might be inspired by this song, but then it becomes something entirely new. So a lot of the times it comes from the emotional reaction you have to a song. Um, and then it, it sort of inspires you to put your own little twist on the concept and hopefully a new song comes out of it. Yeah. Have you ever done anything for film or TV? Or? I, I have done a little bit. It was just a, it was a project. In fact, this is a funny memory from when I was at uh, Northwestern University and an undergrad, I got asked to score this film project and the kids end up going like underneath the campus where they weren't supposed to go or something and they got their funding cut. <laughs> oh. It was all, uh, you know, it was all uh, a little bit of breaking of the rules and so every, the, they pulled the plug in the whole film. So that was essentially the end of my film scoring career. Mm -hmm. I did a play before that um, on campus. I, I scored that and uh, had a handful of songs that I recorded from that project, that some of which I still play, actually. And uh, but I haven't done much of that. It's something I've always kind of wanted to get into. But my path, you know, not in any, you know, I, I was in New York for a while in Chicago before that, but I never ended up spending any, any real time in LA other than visiting to play on occasion. But and so I, I haven't really operated in one of those centers. Although I know some folks are doing very well with that from here. But part part of it has maybe been. You know, I've I've had I've been busy enough as a trumpet player that I've been writing less than I've meant to, and I'm I'm trying to remedy that. So while I'm still I'm even trying to raise my game on the trumpet, I'm I'm 
doing a little more of a jazz focus these mm-hmm. days. I'm kind of I've had a little bit of that shift, and with that is coming this uh, is this um, a renewed interest in in trying to write more and more. Of all the places you've played in the world, where do you think you're most appreciated? Wow, what a great question. There are certain places where they're so excited about music that I think everyone would probably feel the most appreciated. I think um, it, it might be Brazil, actually, where I've never known a more music-loving sort of population. Mm-hmm. You know, they're so musical. Everyone just walking around, it's just musical. <laughs> and they've got just uh, uh, brilliant musicians in every genre, classical and and of course, the uh, choro, the, the Brazilian genres, and and jazz, and so um, that that's one of the places where I felt like, wow, man, we're we're really feeling the vibe, and it feels great. Another place, very surprisingly, was Russia. I've only been to Russia Ooh. once in two thousand five, yeah, and um, and 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 the place is a bit, it's different, <laughs> but the the people I encountered in the venues were wonderful, and they seemed to really love the music. Do you think uh, they loosen up when they're inside like that? Like, it, well, it's interesting that you see this with a few societies that the the way the population actually interacts with each other when visitors often doesn't really reflect the the structures that surround them. Even Australia is like that. Australia, that you meet the folks, they tend to be some of the most relaxed, you know, uh, friendly, warm people you can ever meet. But they have they have a lot of structures in place. You know, they you know if you're going to get a work visa there, it's 23 pages long or something and uh, they enforce airline rules that we don't even bother with in the United States and cabin rules with baggage and stuff like that. So it's very interesting, right? You wouldn't expect it. And Russia seemed to be the same thing. It was very difficult to get a visa and a lot of weird, weird things about being over there, dealing with people in official settings like in immigration and, and the hotels. But the people you're interacting with as a musician were entirely different. Just wonderfully warm and, and very kind. Yeah, know? I know this is a music show, but there is something sociologically to that. It brings people comfort. Parameters bring people comfort. As long as as long as they are parameters and they're not oppressive restrictions, right. which obviously that's all relative. That's going to be uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> different things to be, different people. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but there is true. something to people feeling like we are a well-oiled machine, so I don't have to rebel against it. or I don't have to worry about it falling out from under me. And it does create an ease, I think, yeah. for, for a I population. Wonder, I'm not sure I would call it, with no, no disrespect to Russia, but I'm not sure I'd call it a well-oiled <laughs> machine. Uh, and I say that man, I love the 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 culture there, the history, the 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 man, the writers, the musicians. I mean, what an incredible legacy those guys have produced. You no, know? but in terms of what I dealt with, in terms of official structure, it was whoa, that was that was something different. Ah, uh, yeah, I I I don't have a lot of memory of that. That might be maybe it's repressed. I was just going to say, I, I think it was. <laughs> I've I've traveled the world as well. Spent a lot of time in Europe, and there was just a little stint in Prague. And when someone mentions the food, I just shudder. It's just, <laughs> they try. They're really trying, and they are lovely people. They're yeah. very kind. They're very hospitable. But oh, the food is abysmal. It, well, it's funny what people adapt to, you know. And and for me, it's been tough because I've I've actually been a vegan for like the last <laughs> eleven years, and so certain places it, it's it's tough. And I always want to be as low maintenance as possible, and it, it can be hard and um, to to do that when you've you've got certain dietary restrictions. But um, 
some places it's it's very very difficult. <laughs> you have a lot of iceberg lettuce with an errant carrot, don't you? <laughs> In some places, yes. Rex's yeah, big meal. Right. I, that's why I learned to travel with food. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your own little pack of protein bars and <laughs> yes. peanut butter. Peanut butter is, oh, yeah. woo, that's a huge saving. Yeah. <laughs> get all my protein and my fat, which I can't get usually when traveling. Where can people go for more information? Um, well, let's see. No, I, you know, that reminds me, I need to update my website. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't we been doing We didn't mean to that. add to your to-do list, oh, Rex, my sorry. God. I haven't been doing that for months now because there's been so little to, to put up there. But um, I think uh, probably in your ears website is, is probably the best uh, when it comes to the concerts, obviously, that are going on here and ours on the 26th. Um, but I am inspired. My, my website is www.rexrichardson.net. And I am inspired by your question to go ahead and update my site. <laughs> I have to remember to take down dozens of concerts that were canceled <laughs> and put on three or four that are coming together in the next year and a half or so, so Just far. so you know, you are not alone. <laughs> Everyone who has sat across from me, that's that's kind of the state of affairs. Yeah. And But you're focusing on the important things. You're practicing, you're making connections, you're, you know, gigging when you can. That's important. I mean, the website can be static for the moment. I mean. Yeah. I'm hoping, you know, one of my goals is, and I've been talking to colleagues about this too, because everyone is feeling a bit demoralized and some people quite demoralized. I'm like, look, my goal is when I'm out there playing again, I want people to hear just a, a different Rex Richardson. I want people to say, man, I never heard that cat sound like that. And for it to be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, that's, that's the, the po- kind of the positive slant of this situation to kind of go deep in the shed. I think of the legend of Sonny Rollins kind of disappearing for three years on the bridge and, and what he came back with. And so I'm, I'm no Sonny Rollins by a, um, quite a long shot, but still all of us can make that kind of commitment to improve ourselves and sort of just see how we can reinvent what we're doing. So yeah, I'm trying to do that at this point. Well, so many people feel obligated, whether it's by legal contracts or not, but they feel obligated to perpetually put output. There has to be output all the time. And we forget that as creative beings, you have to have the downtime to be even better for with the output. And even if yeah. it is three years, you're right. If you have a decades long career, Three years is a drop in the bucket to go remember who you are, to get in touch with the things that spawned all of those initial creative things that everybody latched onto. But we, you know, the public makes you feel owned. It makes you feel like you're here to entertain us. So make sure you're cranking it out every year with a studio album and, you know, we're able to buy tickets. And that's a great point. Yeah. And it's, and it's something that I, I haven't really thought of in that way. It's like, yeah, yeah, this is something generally we should be doing. And I've, been fairly unable to do that for the last couple of decades. I mean, part of it is just, yeah, I've been nice to, it's been nice to play a lot and be traveling a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm busy with the job at VCU, but, but yeah, all of us, I think need to find some place where we, we get the downtime to, to dig deep and reinvent and not feel like, oh man, I'm just kind of hanging on and the craft is not really evolving. It's just kind of what it is. And that's what it's going to be. We don't want to be in that position mm-hmm. really do it. Do you have any oddball hobbies? I'm, um, I, I love to cook and, and I'm, I'm a student of wines and winemaking. <laughs> yeah. So I, so those, those are, I don't know how oddball they are, but I, I love, I cook for my wife all the time and, and I'm always trying to find some, some new recipes and, um, I'm trying to get certified in French wines. I should be taking an exam sometime. To be a sommelier? No, oh. no, 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 I'm not, I'm, 
this is saying not even close to being that good, <laughs> but uh, no, it's sort of a certification um, from the French uh, Agricultural Department that shows you have a certain knowledge. Uh, that's put together by the Wine Scholar Guild that I've uh, I took a course in and I'm studying, <laughs> and so those uh, those are probably the most all about things. And and I'm I'm kind of you wouldn't know to look at me, but I'm a gym rat, and um, and that's I, that's just over the last few months really because <laughs> mostly it's interrupted all the time. I'm mm-hmm. home for a few days. Okay, I got a couple work on workouts in, then I'm on a plane somewhere and it all falls to pieces. So so those those things are kind of producing. Uh, some positive energy away from music. Yeah, know. that's not oddball. That's sanity. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and and food and wine, I mean, that's just enjoying life. And you get to share yeah. it, and that's bringing people together. So yeah, I agree with that for Those sure. are incredible. I can't wait to hear you on the 26th. Well, thank you so much. I'm, and, I'm really excited about it. To hear everybody that, that comes with you, that's going to be great. Yeah, it's 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 been so long. It's funny because normally I'm, I'm playing all the time and it's a very happy, comfortable time. I'm expecting to get a bit nervous for this one because <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't performed in front of people for, for so long. But but I'm still, uh, it's going to be entirely positive. I'm really, really excited about it. Well, we'll have a little container of wine next to you there and <laughs> we'll put you right at ease. Okay. Not a problem. But cut me off quickly, though. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. What a pleasure, Reese. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like us, follow us, and subscribe to us on all the usual suspects. And also be sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. to Shaco Sessions Live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. That's a wrap.